Good evening and welcome. Good evening and welcome to House of Red Gospel, Block Talk Radio, coming to you from 231 6th Avenue, South here in Beatrice, Alabama. I'm your host, Freddie Howard. Tonight's broadcast, Human Rights versus Civil Rights. This is a conference call in. Today is Monday, March the 1st. The time is 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, it'll be 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are hoping for some folks to call in tonight. If not, we will be talking about human rights versus civil rights. And we're going to open up with uh, civil rights history in the United States first. But first, we are being brought to you by the National Association of Black Defenders Incorporated at 1629 K Street, Northwest, Suit 30, Suit 300, rather, Washington, D.C., 2006. Our telephone number for, is 202. 852-4816 or 561-236-2024. For legal counsel anywhere in the United States, you can call 202-852-4816. Human rights versus civil rights. This is a call-in conference call to anybody in the United States, anywhere in the world to talk about human rights versus civil rights. We do not have an attorney on staff tonight but we hope that we will be able to answer any of your questions in regards to human rights versus civil rights. All right. You can call in, like I said, and speak to me. I'm your host, Freddie C. Howard, Howard C. at 713-955-0464, or you can call telephone number 347-202-0317. All right. This is the work for the month of... Uh, First quarter, this is the last of the quarter, January, February, March, we have been dealing with the issue of human rights versus civil rights. You can reach uh, uh, Dr. McCorvey, the president and CEO of uh, National Association of Black Defenders at 202-852-4816. All right, this is March the 1st, human, human rights versus civil rights. The conference is going to be in going to be March the 28th, 29th, 30th, and 31st. Uh, we hope to have people from from those cities calling in on that last day. That would end that particular um, portion of uh, the um, conferences on for the January, uh, January, February, and March. Uh, for three months, we've been dealing with human rights versus civil rights. The first one was January the 11th. Um, that one has already passed, and you can find that on the uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, archive, human rights versus civil rights, January 25th. You can also find that one on uh, the Blog Talk Radio archive. You can also find February the 15th, uh, conference call in. Um, February the 15th, also on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Just type in Human Rights versus Civil Rights Planning Conference, Monday, February the 15th, 6.15. Or you copy in Monday, January the 25th, or Monday, January the 11th. Make sure you type in Human Rights versus Civil Rights first. Human Rights versus Civil Rights Conference Planning. This is today's event, March the 1st, 6 p.m., um, one that we've been talking about since we've been on online. And then, as I said before, on March the 22nd, we will have the next uh, conference called in on civil rights. 
and then the Human Rights Versus uh, March the 28th is a um, three-day event, 28, 29, 30, and 31st, and that will be cities from all over the country calling in on Human Rights Versus Civil Rights. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, open up with uh, uh, some uh, some music while we are getting situated here in the uh, studio, and uh, we hope that uh, you will be able to uh, follow along with uh, us anywhere here at House Here and Gospel Blog Talk Radio as we scroll up and down here looking for uh, some music to play, and we hope that uh, you will be calling in, and if not, we're going to be going into the program here shortly. All right. This is Herman Herman Lyon um, of Theater South out of Florida. This is a, we're gonna open this up as an introduction here. Um, we are uh, be asking for funds for the National Association of Black Defenders. Um, you can make a donation. You can find them on uh, the internet. Just type in the National Association of Black Defenders, and you'll find them all over the internet. All right. We're going to open up with National Association of Black Defending Herman Laverne Jones talking about Theater South and the Radiothon where we raise funds for the National Association of Black Defenders. And what we do, we deal with issues concerning the black community as well as all communities across the United States. We are talking about human rights versus civil rights tonight, but we also um, solicit your funds for support of the organization. We are a 501c tax-exempt organization. We are a 501c tax-exempt organization, and you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the National Association Excuse me, of Black Defenders. Stay with us. We'll be right back in a minute. Good morning, and welcome to the Radiothon for the National Association of Black Defenders. Uh, we will be doing a Radiothon from uh, December 22nd through December 25th. We will come on every morning between the 22nd and the 25th at 9 a.m. until 12 noon each day, three hours a day. We'll be, we'll be on 12 hours. So uh, we have Herman Laverne Jones on the line, and he's going to be talking about, he's a board member at the National Association of Black Defenders, and he's going to be talking about his aspects, what he do for the National Association of uh, Black Defenders. Herman, you got the line. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Freddie Howard. Uh, happy to be here and to be talking to this incredible audience that you have. And I'm so proud to be a board member of the National Association of Black Defenders and uh, to be working with you as well. I am a theater person. Uh, I am a producer, director, artistic director, actor, singer, playwright, and consultant. And I have been so fortunate to have found my passion uh, very early in life. I've been part of the industry uh, for 47 years now. And I have a master's degree in theater from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and got my undergraduate degree at North Carolina State University and studied a little bit at NYU studying uh, performance theater and have had the great opportunity to have traveled uh, nationally and internationally uh, in Europe, Africa, South America, Canada, and all across the United States. So uh, well-traveled 
and my perspective with what we have going on with the National Association of Black Defenders is to get people prepared for the workforce environment. Uh, I think that is a critical uh, place to be. Uh, my work with ABC and uh, being on uh, the guiding light as an actor uh, and other types of opportunities, I know that we have to uh, enlighten uh, our community, uh, and then not just the African-American community, and I am African-American, and I want to focus on that a lot because I think now is our time to elevate uh, because there's no time like the present, and we must use the knowledge that we have from our past and what we're doing now to increase the capacity of our future with Black Lives Matter and other issues uh, that are in front of us and the changing of the guard in America. Uh, all of those things count. Um, the National Association of Black Defenders is a great place for workforce development, a great place to enlighten youth and young adults, adults and seniors, to turn our attention to the needy uh, within our court system uh, and when that uh, system is designed the right way. And I think we need to revisit how that design is as a, um, a free country, uh, a democratic country. Uh, I think we can help on board uh, a lot of our uh, people that go through that type of system. And, and that system is meant for uh, everybody. And I think we get the, the, um, the weight of that because of our color and our, our um, uh, history here in America as African and Americans. Uh, I think we need to extend our hand and see what we can do to pull uh, our youth young adults, adults and seniors into a better awareness of how to make uh, this system work that we have here in America. All right. Thank you, Mr. Jones, for your powerful information. Uh, as a board member for the National Association of uh, Black Defenders, please give them uh, your uh, telephone number where you can be reached and your contact information and uh, more information as we go forward here with the National Association of Black Defenders Radio Thon. Telephone number is seven eight six five eight zero seven three eight nine. And I'll repeat it one more time. Seven eight six five eight zero seven three eight nine. My email address is info at theatersouth.net. And I'll spell that. That's Info, I-N-F-O, the at symbol, theater, spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E, south, S-O-U-T-H, dot net, N-E-T. And all of that is lowercase. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing from folks. And if you'd like to look at my website as well, uh, that is theatersouth.net www.theatersouth.net. 
theatersouth.net, the same identical spelling. And my name is Herman Laverne Thompson Jones, and most people know me by Herman Laverne Jones, and I'm uh, happy to be associated with the uh, National Association of Black Defenders. And a luta continua, a victory asserta, and that means the struggle continues, victory is certain. And uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Howard, for having me on your radio show, and I look forward to our continued relationship as well. Well, Mr. John, I thank you for coming on uh, your busy schedule. We are about uh, uh, 30 minutes before we air live on uh, House of and Gospel Block Talk Radio, coming from 231 6th Avenue down south here in Beatrice, Alabama. This is my first uh, job assignment for the National Association of Black Defenders as a media person, and I look forward to this radiothon uh, every year so that we can raise money for the National Association of, of um, uh, black defenders and other 501c uh, tax exempt organizations, as well as for raise funds for the Beatrice Cultural Center that we are building here in Beatrice. And I absolutely thank you, and we will be playing this during the uh, Radiothon. I will upload it now to the uh, uh, formats for the, to play during the Radiothon. And uh, you have a great day. And if you want to call back during the broadcast, you can call 347 202 0317 or uh, 619-639-4634, and, or you can call 713-955-0464. But the number you need to stick in your crawl is 347-202-0317. Mr. Jones, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I will definitely call in live. There's more information that I'd like to give in terms of uh, how to support the um, the fundraising for the association. I'm presently doing uh, a reading of Christmas shows. I'm willing to give 25% uh, of anything that comes in from the Christmas shows that I'm uh, reading here uh, out of the Miami region. Uh, I will donate to the, uh, the uh, fundraising effort there for the National Association of Black Defenders, and I hope everybody takes my lead. All right, great. You can go to the National Association of Black Defenders uh, uh, donate page. You can donate any amount that you want to, from three dollars up to a thousand. And if you really want to donate, you can go over a thousand. The website is okay. uh, list, listed on the page. All right. Okay. Very good. Thank you so very much, and blessings to you and the uh, Beatrice uh, Cultural Center. I know about that project. It is a wonderful venture. It needs funding as well. Uh, Freddie Howard uh, and uh, uh, is in a perfect position to help make all of this uh, an incredible uh, place to be. Thank you so very much. I look forward to calling back in. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. right. More coming your way from the National Association of Black Defenders Radiothon, NAB Radio here at House of Gospel, Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. More coming your way. Make them phone calls now. National Association of Black Defenders, a public service announcement, racial profiling and racial injustice. You are calling the National Office of the National Association of Black Defenders in Washington, D.C. If you feel that you have been racially profiled against, 
and that you have been served with inequality in any way, we want you to please pick up the phone and call today, 202-852-4816. All right, we thank Mr. McCorry, our executive director and the director of National Association of Black Defendants and board member, Herman Laverne Jones, for those uh, inmate, powerful information in regards to the National Association of Black Defenders and also Dr. McCorry talking about um, racial profiling, if you feel that you have been racially profiled. All right, we're going to go to... Um, the beginning, uh, this is from Georgetown Law University, Georgetown Law Library, uh, a brief history of civil rights in the United States. Uh, Georgetown is a prestigious uh, college there, um, and if you want to go to a powerful school for law, you can go to Georgetown Law for you get your degree there at Georgetown University. A brief history of civil rights in the United States. This guide offers a historic various moments by citizens in the United States to gain political and social freedom and equality. It highlights resources available through the library and also offers a list of current civil rights organizations. We want to let you take a look and know something before we begin. So you, in clear language, the difference between human rights and civil rights. What is the difference between a civil right and a human right. Simply put, simply put, human rights are rights one acquired by being alive as a human being, just being a human being. Civil rights are rights that one obtain, excuse me, by being a legal member of a certain political state. March the first, twenty twenty one. Say for instance, uh, in the United States, you have certain civil rights. And the fact that you are a human being anywhere in the world, you have certain human rights. And those rights sometimes cross over into each other, but they are definitely two different uh, elements of human rights and civil rights. They all both have its own lane. Human rights, any government, anywhere in the world can get in another country's business of violating their citizens' human rights. Human rights. Anybody can get in. Have you often heard uh, the United States of America talking about uh, what Russia does or what China is doing or what uh, Beijing or whoever else is doing to their human beings? And that's that's because uh, human rights is uh, universal throughout the world and everybody's human rights should be upheld, and anybody can get in your stuff if you violate somebody's human rights. Now, civil rights is a totally different issue. Civil rights is uh, is the privileges and things that a country or a territory grant you as a person or a citizen of that uh, country. So, for instance, in the United States, you have uh, the right to vote, and that right can be taken away if you commit a crime and there is a felony, and a felony would prevent you from have, exercising your privileges to vote. That's just two simple reasons for human rights and civil rights. 
Okay, let's get back to the Georgetown Law Library and the civil rights versus human rights. What is the difference between a civil rights and a human rights? Simply put, human rights are rights one requires for being alive. Civil rights are rights that one obtained by being a legal member of a certain political state. There are obviously several liberties that overlap between these two categories, but the breakdown of rights between human and civil rights is roughly as follows. Human rights include the right to life, the right to an education, protection from torture, freedom of expression, the right to a free trial, civil rights within the United States, protection from discrimination, the right to free speech, the right to due process, the right to equal protection, the right to self-incrimination. All right, it is important to note, important to note, that civil rights will change based on where a person claims citizenship because civil rights are, in essence, an agreement between the citizen and the nation or state that the citizen lives within. From an international perspective, international organizations and courts are not as likely to intervene and take action in, to enforce a nation's violation of its own civil rights, but are more likely to respond to human rights violations. Like we said in the introduction, while human rights should be universal in all countries, civil rights will vary greatly from one nation to the next. The rights that a citizen acquire in Russia is different from the rights that a person acquire here in the United States. The rights that a, the civil rights that a person has in China is different from the civil rights in Russia or the United States. It's absolutely different. But the human rights are on the same level. And if you get in anybody's human rights in and one of those places, United States, Russia, or China, somebody else can get in your stuff for you violating human rights. While human rights should be universal in all countries, civil rights will vary greatly from one nation to the next. No nation may rightly deprive a person of human rights, but different nations can grant or deny different civil rights. The civil rights struggle tends to occur at local or national level and not at the international level. If that, the civil rights struggles tend to occur at local or national level, but not at the international level. At the international level, we focus on violations of human rights. This guide will focus on the civil rights that various groups have fought for a while in the United States. While some of these rights, like the rights of education, certain overlap with human rights, we treat them as civil rights in most academic conversations. Typically, the reason used to justify a right to equal education or another human right is grounded in a civil right due process and equal protection. All right, let us continue. We click back periodically to the um, studio uh, to make sure if anybody calls, we can answer the phone. Okay, resources for immigration laws. Resources for immigration lawyers. The Social Responsibility Special Interest Section of the American Association Law Libraries is maintained. This page in order to share low at no cost resources that may help immigrants attorneys based on increased demand for their services. Now, here's the thing. Here is the thing. Uh, as you know, 
they have just challenged um, the government administration, the USA, new administration, Biden and Kamala Harris. Excuse me. Joe Biden uh, is the president and Mr. Harris is the vice president. The last administration on uh, uh, Vice President Pence and uh, President um, uh, Donald Trump um, was a difficult and, and trying time for, for citizens dealing with citizenship uh, despite any other issue dealing with because of the way the administration went about their business and doing things. All right. That's us continue here. Uh, let's go to that was the introduction. Civil rights for blacks. Let's look at that. These this is Black History Month. In fact, any month is Black History Month because all months are Black History Month or White Month or White History or just just history. And since uh, February, uh, I just ended. Uh, yesterday, we are going to continue to talk about black history. Because black history is every day. Every day that you live in America, you are a black person. You should be concerned about black history. You may be at one level of the economic uh, ladder. Uh, you may be at the lowest level of the economic ladder. But uh, black history is concerned should be your concern if you are a black person, regardless of your economic status. All right. A brief history of civil rights in the United States. Introduction to civil rights for blacks. All right. We hold true to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Uh, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is from the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence. You should be very much aware of what the Declaration of Independence is. That means that the United States was under the thumb of the Europeans, our white brothers and sisters out of Europe, and places like that, United Kingdom, places like that, so they decided to come to the United States and break away from the Europeans and their government way of uh, taking care of them and doing things. They wanted a new style of the government, and this is where um, the United States broke away and, and they declared their independence. And in the documents of uh, the Declaration of Independence, is certain things that are, that they aspire to when they separated from their European fathers, the white um, Europeans. All right. The relationship between African Americans and the United States of America was forged in slavery. Remember that and let that stick in your brain. The relationship of black Americans was forged in slavery. What is the meaning of the word forged? You can take a hot piece of metal and heat it to a certain degree, and you can take another piece of metal and heat it to a certain degree, and you can pound those two metals together 
and they, when they hardened, the solid piece would show where one begins and the other one ends, but they would be one solid mass. That is what it's like for black Americans in America, for black people that came and descendants that come out of Africa to be in America. And now when you take a look at black Americans, they have all colors of skin, light, dark, yellow, brown, black as midnight, half white, yellow. I don't care whatever kind of color you find, you find black people in America with those colors. That is because of the forged, forged interrelationship between blacks and whites and other uh, ethnicities and other colored skins in this country we call America. Therefore, back in the old days, they determined what uh, amount of blood was in your system. If there was an ounce of black blood in your system, I don't care if you were lily white, you, in your skin color, you were still a black American, an African-American, a mulatto, whatever you want to call it. President Barack Obama uh, was a mulatto. Okay. The South built its economy on the backs of slaves. The South built its economy on the backs of slaves. And I'm going to interject some. Some say that the Civil War was not about slavery. But anytime your main economic viable means of labor is black free, black slaves, you will fight for that to continue because you're taking away your source of income and your livelihood. After a civil war that threatened to tear the nation apart, slavery ended, but the injustice that black faced did not. Rather than fold them into society and offer their opportunities for advancement, blacks were instead treated like little more than slaves. Instead of white America, when the Civil War was over, allowing blacks to forge their opportunities and make their opportunities in this vast land, they decided we're going to keep them in slavery. Law or no law. War or no war. They are slaves and they are our property and we are going to do what we want to with our property. That is especially true of those people in the South. And guess what? The seeds of that is still with America this very moment, March the 1st, 2021. Policies were implemented to keep blacks working in the same fields that they worked as slaves. Those who did move away from or subject to living in certain poor neighborhoods due to redlining. What is redlining? Redlining is where banks and realtors and people that are selling houses will carve out an area and there is a what they call a red line. In other words, if there are blacks in this area, that and their whites in this area, they're going to draw a line between that black community and that white community 
a white housing area or black housing area so that the blacks can't go over into the white community and buy and the whites can't go over into the black and buy. Now, you can buy anywhere you want to, but what they do is that when you go to buy a home, they set up red line district in the houses that you apply for. You think you're getting the best of this and the best of that. You still are in a district that is set aside and separated specifically for you if you are white, specifically for you if you are black. That is what they call redlining. That is what they call redlining. That is against the law, redlining. These did not move away with subject to living in certain poor neighborhoods due to red line. In other words, they were not going to get no up mobility from buying a, a pretty new house in another area. All hell would break out if a black family moved into a white neighborhood. Blacks were segregated in schools, restaurants, and transportation and other forms of public accommodation. They were discriminated against for employment, and all of this was legal. Not only was it legal, it was considered normal, exactly as it should be by most of the population of the nation throughout the post-Civil War era and well into the 20th century. Let that sink in into you. And folks in America talk about systemic racism, uh, systemic issues dealing with blacks and whites in this nation. It is still true. There have been so many political people getting some about there is no systemic racism in America. America is built on racism, racist. America, that's at the heart of who America is. That's how it's got as well. That's how it's maintained as well. That is in the blood line of USLA, USLA. It was not until World War II that things began to change. Why did things begin to change? Think about that. You go overseas and you fight and die and kill and fight for this country, blacks and whites and Mexicans, Puerto Ricans and Indians, Jews, all the old nationalities fighting in the war. And when you come back home, you realize all you fought for and was half killed for does not value you in this country we call America. You ain't got nothing when you get back here. You went over there and you fought for this country. But, hell, this country don't care nothing about you. Whether you're Indian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're German, it doesn't matter who you are. Unless you're white Anglo, no, this is not for you, brother. All right. It was not until after World War II that things began to change. And when that change came, it came with a struggle. Some brothers that went over there and killed and fought for this country were going to come back here and let white folks do what they want to with them. And in this country, there was atrocious behavior toward blacks. Black soldiers can be getting off the plane and just may have been, they had a Medal of Honor on pinned on him. A white will look at him, spit at him, kill him, and hang him in the nearest tree. It means nothing to them. That's just how it was. The fight continues into our own time. Today, March 1st, 2021. It will continue as long as the inequality between the races 
exists. All right. Let's go from the 1870s to the 1950s. 1870s to the 1950s. What do you know about Jim Crow, the Jim Crow time period? Imperial laundry country. We wash for white. We were not the washing of black folks' clothes. We were washed only white folks' clothes. Then on the other side of time, we washed for only black folks. White folks don't bring your clothes here to be washed by no black folks. Look at that. But here's the thing about that. Many families in America, in Alabama, the women, my mother one in particular, labored in sheriffs and policemen and other white entities ironing their shirts and their clothes that they wear to work every day. There was a local banker that my mother ironed and did his laundry for years. And let me give you a brief story about that. When I returned from the uh, service in the military, I came back here to my hometown of Beatrice, Alabama. I first moved to Tucson, Arizona, where I found a difficulty, and I uh, got in financial trouble. Uh, I had to sell my home. My wife and kids had to come back home. So lately, I came back home, too, as well, because it was difficult to make a living in Tucson, Arizona. And here's what happened when I got back here. I proceeded to go to a local banker. It's called People Exchange Bank. It is still called a People Exchange Bank to get a loan to buy a truck. And the first question that was asked to me when I got back here, uh, what do you need with a truck? What do you, this black young ex-soldier need with a truck? Everybody, truck is the, is the, the name of the game in the South. Everybody needs a truck. Some people prefer cars, but everybody needs a truck. If you are about anything, you about to work any kind of way, any kind of, about yourself, you need a truck. You know what I mean? You need a truck. All right. But I was told that um, I, I wouldn't get a loan there. So I um, stoned and got loans through the hustles this kind of way and side places, but never no substantial loan. So finally, when I um, uh, started building my house, I had um, uh, acquired $1,000 and bought a, a place in Monroe called the Old Cat's House. I called from a black service station. And I needed that truck to move that house up here so I can build it. So finally, I got around to uh, a bank in Monroe County called the Monroe County Bank. Monroe County County Bank. First National Bank in Monroe. Mr. Joe Watley was the president of that bank. That is the man in which my mother had labored for years washing and ironing his clothes. So when I went in that bank and applied for a loan, the first question Mr. Watley asked me was, who is your people? That is the first question he asked me. He didn't ask me about what my financial situation was, what my work was, or what my ability to pay was, or what he asked me, who were your folks? Who are your folks? 
and I told him my folks are Willie H. Howard and Loretta Rushton Howard. And with that, he realized Loretta Rushton, that is the black woman that washed and ironed all of my clothes of the many years at my home that I worked in this bank. And with that being said, the paperwork became just a formality. That banker loaned me money up until this house, which took me 10 years to build, was completed. That's how I got that loan, because my mother was a servant, ironing and cleaning and taking care of Mr. Joe Wilder's family and their clothing needs. It was more than that because of the relationship between my father, um, the banker, Mr. Watley, and the Watley family. It just was a relationship that he felt that here is this woman that maintained my clothes all these years, starts on shirts and britches and khakis and stuff, and here is her son trying to get a loan. And with the efforts of other banks and lending institutions, they would not give this young man, black boy, young black man, I said boy, but that's the way the others were thinking of me as a boy, young black man, credit to build a home or buy a vehicle. That's where my first loan came. That was due as a result of what went on during the Jim Crow time period. Now, let's look at the Jim Crow time period. After the Civil War, there was a period from about 1865 to 1877 where federal laws offered observable protection of civil rights for former slaves and free blacks. However, starting in the 1870s, as the Southern economy continued to its decline, Democrats took over power in Southern legislatures and used intimidation tactics to suppress black voters. Tactics included violence against blacks, and those tactics continued well into the 1900s. Lynchings were a common form of terrorism, practiced against blacks to intimidate them. It is important to remember that the Democratic and Republicans of the late 1800s were very different parties from their current intimidation, which is right now. Republicans in, in the time of the Civil War and directly were literally the party of Lincoln and Anthony him to the South. As white Southern Democrats took over legislation in the former Confederate state, they began passing more restricted voter registration and electoral laws, as well as passing legislation to segregate black and white. Let me give you another life story, real story, about lynching. When my father passed, my mother purchased a brand new blue and white uh, Ford F-150 with a red pinstripe down the side. Beautiful truck. I can still see it now. We love to wash it and shine it, wax it, and have it looking good on Sunday. We go to church and carry boys and see their girlfriends and pick them up and all that kind of stuff and ride our girls. So my mother had told us 
the first one of you boys, now it's five of us boys, that gets a scratch on this truck, will not be driving this truck on Sunday. So that gives you an incentive to take care of the truck and not damage until the truck up. So one Saturday afternoon, I'm coming back from over my grandmother's house. My grandmother, Tini Stalls, who lived to be 102, 103, somewhere along. That's my father's mother. Anyway, just like when you walk on the streets in the 50s, you, when a white person was coming on the sidewalk, since the sidewalk was not narrow, was not really ahead with both of you could pass. And in other words, you didn't want to get close to no white. You know, white didn't want you close to them. You got off of the sidewalk, you as a black person, got off that sidewalk so that that white person could walk past you unabated, undestructed, so they have a clear path to walk. It was just like that on the roads. The roads were narrow back then. So whenever a vehicle was coming down the road, if you are a black person, you pull your vehicle over to the side of the road or in just about in the ditch, whatever, you got out of that road so that they could have that road. That's just the way it was. But on this particular Saturday afternoon, on this particular Saturday afternoon, I did not get out of the road because I didn't want to get over in that ditch, bog that truck up, and get a scratch on that brand-new truck. I did not get out of the road. person that was coming on that road that I was, was supposed to get out of the road for was named Miss Elliot Silent. I was Miss Elliot Silent's wife. She worked in the post office. And guess what? I didn't get out the road. So consequently, I didn't get out of the road. I stayed up in the road. And guess what? She coming, they changed her speed or nothing because she expected me to get out of the way for her. But guess what? I didn't get out of the way. And guess what she had to do? Whoop! Take that ditch. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have a head-on collision. But Freddie Howard driving this new spranking pretty red pinstripe and blue and white truck didn't get out of the road. And when that lady hit that ditch, do you think I stopped? Because this is 1963, 64, somewhere along with that. I'm just getting my license. Because I graduated out of high school at usually uh, was graduated at 16 or 17 years old, but I graduated because I had to repeat the first grade. I graduated from high school about 18 years old, so I had my driver's license. So that lady was over there in the stall for her in the swamp, probably stuck or couldn't get out, and had to wait till somebody come along to get her out of this. And don't you know she was angry? And she told her husband, white husband and all their friends, whoever they were, that this boy up in Beatrice ran her off the road. I didn't run off the road. I just didn't get out of the road for her. So consequently, I came straight to the house and didn't tell a word to my mama. But if I had a mission to my mama, my mama would have got on me as Miss Loretta Howard that I'm the banker's clothing all those years. My father's dead now. And uh, consequently, as of my father being insurance salesman, everything was paid for, and, and mom was doing quite well with uh, the death proceeds from his death um, and having to do a 
lot and pay her bills and stuff for the proceeds from his insurance. But anyway, um, they came to my house that night, blowing their horns and uh, come up in the yard, shining their lights up in the house. So I send that boy out here that ran my wife off the road. Ooh. Send that boy out here. You all remember the same Emmett Till in Mississippi? Send that boy out here that whistle at my girlfriend or whatever in Mississippi. That was all a lie. But anyway, it got quiet up in the house and nobody said anything. So my mother, Loretta Howard, uh, hardworking lady, married to Willie Howard, with uh, 12 children, stepped to the door and said, that road belonged as much to my son, Custer Road. She said, that so-and-so road belongs to my son just as much. Now, he, she didn't cuss Miss Sadler now, just as much as your wife. Now, get the so-and-so out of my yard. And she walked back in the house and closed it up. It was rather quiet for a while. But them white brothers and who else was out there with them came there to do something to me for not adhering to the protocol or what things were supposed to be done back then. Getting out of the road for a white woman. Just like you got off the sidewalk for white folks, you get out of the road for white folks. But I didn't. As a consequence of that particular event, it changed my life forever. It began to make me into who I am today to our white brothers and sisters. I'm not afraid of them, and I do not profess to be afraid of them because of what my mother taught me about rights human rights, and civil rights. All right. Let us continue. As whites and southern Democrats took over legislation in the former Confederate states, they began passing more restrictive voter restrictions and electoral laws as well as passing legislation segregated blacks and whites. The radio sees anybody called in. Absolutely nobody. That's all good. That's all good. It wasn't enough just to separate out blacks as a relation. was never about separate but equal. While the Supreme Court naively speculated in Plessy versus Ferguson that somehow mankind would allow to show its worst nature and that segregation could occur without one side being significantly disadvantaged despite all evidence to the contrary. We can look back in hindsight and see that the court was either foolishly optimistic, are suffering from the same racism that gripped the other arm of the government at the time. In practice, the service and facilities for blacks were constantly inferior, underfunded, and were inconvenient as compared to those offered to whites. The service and facilities did not exist at all for blacks, and while segregation was literally law in the South, it was also practiced in the northern United States versus housing patterns enforced bank leading practices 
job discrimination through the discriminatory labor union practice. This kind of factor segregation, de facto segregation, has lasted well into our own time. The Arrow Jim Crow laws saw a dramatic reduction in the number of blacks registered to vote within the South. This time period brought about the great migration of black northerners in Western cities like New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles in the 1920s. The Ku Klux Klan experienced a resurgence and spread all over the country, finding a significant opportunity that has lingered to this day in the Midwest. It was claimed that the height of second incarnation of this KKK that its membership exceeded 4 million people nationwide. The Klan didn't shy away from using burning crosses other than taking two tactics tools to strike fear into their opponent who included not just black but also Catholic, Jews, and anyone else who wasn't a white Protestant, white supremacist. Look at that. Still alive today. What do you think is the driving force and motivation that is the undercurrent of the last president, Donald Trump? There is an element in this country of white Protestant folks that love that, that love Donald Trump the way he behaves and that. Say anything, do anything, because he's white and right. This time period was not without its triumphs for black, even if they came at the cost of if they were, were smaller than one would have preferred. The NWC was founded in 1909 in response to the continued practice of lynching and race riots in Springfield, Illinois, from the 1920s to the 1930s. In Harlem, New York, cultural, social, and artistic movement took place that was later coined the Harlem Renaissance. Musicians like Hugh Gallatin, Shelley Rowe Martin, writers such as Zara Neal Hoshin and Langston Hughes, a girl like Josephine Baker, and philosophers W.E. Du Bois, and all had headed in the Harlem Renaissance. American culture as a whole is richer and better for it. Notable Supreme Court cases that affected Jim Crow. The Slaughterhouse Case, 83 U.S. 36-1873. This series of three cases which were consolidated into one issue offered the first opinion from the Supreme Court on the 14th Amendment. The court chose to interpret the rights protected by the 14th Amendment as very narrow and that this president would be followed by many years to come. Civil Rights Act case of 19, case 109 U.S. 3, 1883. In this set, of five cases, they were consolidated into one. A majority of the civil court held civil rights acts of 1875 and the Constitution against the long famous dissident of Justice Harlan. The majority argued that Congress lacked authority to regulate private affairs under the 14th Amendment and that the 13th Amendment merely abolished slavery. Segregation in public accommodation would not be declared illegal after the case until the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Plessy versus Ferguson. This is the case which gave us the phase separate but equal. Look at that, separate but equal. Before I continue, let me give you another thing that I experienced. When I returned home here after my service in the military, I came back to my community to work in my community, which I am still working right now in Beatrice. And what I found 
as I worked as a correctional officer at Holman Prison at Atmore, Alabama, what I found at my high school compared to other schools in the county, a white school was atrocious. Absolutely separate but unequal. You get that separate but unequal. The facility at JFC's high school, Beatrice Elementary, and the other black schools was ridiculous compared to what the white school had. And I began to write about it. I began to write about it in the local Monroe Journal. There was also a photographer that was assisting me, Mr. Larry Starwood. As a photographer, he would take pictures and I would write. I had other folks involved in it with me as well. Mr. Burns, the janitor at Beatrice Monroe County High School then, now JFCS High School, would let us in, open the doors, and allow us to go in when there were nobody there so we could take pictures. He worked there as a janitor. He knew personally how bad it was, and he let me in to look, photograph, and begin documentation. And I wrote those stories to the Monroe Journal. And guess what? In the newspaper, guess what my caption was for when I wrote a picture? Me as a correctional officer. That was my picture in the journal. I can remember this to this day. Let's go on. Justin Harden, again, offered a long dissent. These laws would remain in play until 1954. I'm going to look up Justice Harlan at a while and we we'll see what became of him. Liberal resources, Ronna M. LaBelle and Jonathan Luke, the Slaughterhouse case, Regulation Reconstructed and the 14th Amendment, KF228545L33205, William is Huff Holder, Tesla versus Fogler, Race and Inequality, uh, Jim Crow, that's case KF223.P56864-2012, Lauren Collier, Houston, Tesla versus Ferguson, the case number, case number KF223.P56855-2014. Equal Justice Initiative, Lynching in America, Confronting the Legality of the Racial Terrier, HV 645-57-E-635-2015. If you ever get the opportunity, go to Montgomery and look at that place set aside for lynchings in this country called America. All right, Equal Justice Initiative. There is a look up equal justice initiative. Look that up. That's all I'm going to say. Equal justice initiative. There's a lawyer you should be well familiar with when it comes to the equal justice initiative. All right. That was also involved in the freeing of a man in prison. Walter Johnny D. McMillan, here in Monroe County, accused of killing somebody, which he didn't do. Just chalked up case. Brian Lewis Stevenson is that lawyer, and he is the head of Equal Justice Initiative. All right. African American newspapers, 1827 to 1998, 
database provides online access to around 270 U.S. newspapers from more than 35 states, including many rare and historic decisions, 19th century titles, Slavery in America and the World, History, Culture, and Law. Hines Online. All right. We are into the broadcast. We've got 29 minutes of live streaming time left here. We're going to uh, take a, um, a break for a minute, and uh, we're going to play a song, and we'll be right back in a minute.
All right, let us continue on the National Association of Black Defenders Radio Thon. Uh, we are in day two. And we want to tell you a little bit about the Beatrice Culture Center there in, um, to be built there in Beatrice, Alabama, a place together, a place to celebrate. Um, we want to thank Mr. Mose Days um, for the donation of the land, a former student at the historic Dale Shields High School just across the street. Um, it's a community center, historic communication, gardens, playground, picnic ground, recreation facilities. Um, our goal raised $2 million. We've had a very uh, great start with, from the uh, uh, Richard... Uh, uh, That's the Richard Blum Foundation. Um, we are very pleased with that. We are exactly thankful for our team, as Mr. Mose Daly, myself, Freddie Howard, Ms. D.J. Odoms, Ms. Mary Howard, um, Mr. Dwight Howard, um, Dr. Jack Shelton, um, uh, Steve uh, Lancaster, uh, and all of the team that's uh, working to um, make the Beatrice Culture Center materialize right here in uh, Beatrice, Alabama. Thank you for the opportunity to work with your project. Uh, inspired by strong um, history and legacy of civil rights foundation in the state of Alabama, the Beatrice Culture Center is meant to celebrate um, the lines and the work of a number of unsung civil rights leaders and members, many who attend GF Seals High School just across the street. The supporting needs of the community by providing meeting space, all the while being a catalyst for the future community and civil rights activities and involvement. Located on approximately uh, 1.6 acres, the center is designed to engage community with a number of activities and services, both indoors and outdoors program functioning. The center itself is inspired by like community culture centers throughout the state of Alabama and the Southeast. The center will have an exterior walk of fame that will celebrate the impactful legacies of the individuals that, and moments that helped build a strong foundation of civil rights in the state of Alabama, the Southeast region, and other areas. There will also be a community garden that can help the presence of food insecurity for their areas and help provide support for local families and benefit the community. The interior space of the Coastal Center um, composed of office, conference room, a kitchen prep area, a multi-process area that can seat up to 100 people, including support space. The kitchen and prep area are designed and positioned to support outdoor function. It is envisioned that the community can hold functions ranging from weddings, uh, reception to community meetings. At a time when so many other structures and monuments are being raised or destroyed, the Culture Center of Beatrice, Alabama represents an opportunity to celebrate the meaningful elements and use of the people for the use of the people and support the visions for the future. We have an historic opportunity and leadership gift that can create a dramatically positive change to the city of Beatrice, Alabama. 
It will also bring great value to the state of Alabama by helping facilitate the strong foundation of civil rights education, highlighting the importance of the area and the players and a major impact during the civil rights movement. Now we need your support to make the vision come true. If you'd like to donate, if you would like to donate toward this $2 million fundraiser, you can go to uh, the Culture Center uh, uh, donate page, and you can make your contribution payable to the uh, check of money order to the People for Humanity and send them to P.O. Box um, 233, Beatrice, Alabama, 36425. Any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you for your support and contributions. Name and rights are available. For additional information, please visit us at www.BeatriceCulturalCenter.com. That's www.BeatriceCulturalCenter.com. Our contact, Mr. Moses Daly, at telephone number 404-239-8062. You may also email Mr. Daly at MosesDaily at gmail.com. That's MosesDaily, M-O-S-E-S-D-A-I-L-E-Y, at gmail.com. On behalf of all of us here at the Beatrice Culture Center, the Murphy's Purpose Room place, where we can visit and celebrate. We thank you for your support of the National Association of Black Defenders Radiothon as we raise funds for the National Association of Black Defenders and the Beatrice Culture Center. We want to give a special shout-out to the Blum Foundation for the initial start-up for this powerful, powerful $2 million drive that we are in now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome in your way from the National Association of Black Defenders. We also want to give a special shout out to uh, a part of our team that's uh, Representative uh, Pastor Thomas E. Jackson from the District uh, uh, 68 over there in uh, Jackson, Alabama, our representative. We also want to give a very special shout out to all of you here in Beatrice who scheduled to benefit from this outstanding as well as from the the city will be after us as well. Um, on behalf of all of us here, uh, we thank you, and we will stay with us here for more on the National Association of Black Defenders <clears throat> Radiothon Day 2. We will be here from uh, uh, the 22nd, yesterday, the day is the 23rd, the 24th, and the 25th, 9 a.m. to um, 12 noon. Now, you can make a contribution by calling 347-202-0317. Uh, you can call the, uh, also the number that we got listed on the uh, website. That's uh, uh, for in the uh, Washington area. That's 1202-852-4816. More coming your way from the National Association of Black Defenders Radiothon. We are in day two. We got two more days to go. You can also find us on Facebook and places like that. More coming your way. Stay with us. We also want to give a very special shout-out to uh, Mr. Dwight Howard of Opelika, Alabama, who has been very important in the intricate part of the uh, Beatrice Culture Center. More coming your way here on the National Association of Black Defenders Radiothon. Make those calls. Make those calls.
Good morning, y'all. We thank Ray Hollins and the new boys at Triumph from down here in Alabama. Keep right on running, y'all. Thank y'all for the support. If you're listening to your radio, go on and turn this song up. Because right about now, we about to give them some praise. Ow! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Put your hands together. of all of us here at House of Gospel Blog Talk Radio. Merry Christmas to you all today as we celebrate with the National Association of Black Defenders Radio Thon. We need you to support us. We thank you. Make them call. Give us a call at 247-202-0317. Give us a call. Give us a call. We need your support to raise funds for the National Association of Black Defenders. 
We thank Ray Hollins and the new boys of Toronto, Wesley and Haley and them all them singing. You can give us a call at 1-202-852-4816. Give us a call now to support the National Association of Black Defenders. Keep right on running. Don't give up. them call, give us support here at the House of Black Gospel Block Talk Radio, the National Association of Black Defenders Radio Thon. We on from 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Make them calls. Make those calls. God bless y'all. National Association of Black Defenders, you would set a race dialogue. To one in favor of the resolution, which requires the county to eliminate any policies that harbor racial discrimination. And while protests and chants of Black Lives Matter may not be echoing nightly through the streets anymore, work is still being done to build better relationships between local law enforcement and the community. Some of that work is happening in Yuba County through a group called Race Dialogues. Their goal, to find solutions to race-based division through compassionate conversations. Black Lives Matter! The chants, marches, rallies, and sights of fists in the air are no longer visible on a daily basis here in Northern California. But calls for racial justice continue in the form of discussions. Race Dialogues. A group of eight different people with four common goals. Create a learning community, deepen understanding of systematic racism and its effect on today's institutions, culture and beliefs, improve skills in countering racism and organizing for racial justice, and network in a way that strengthens and expands outreach, influence and effectiveness in overcoming systematic racism. I spoke with four members, Joyce Pope, founder of the Tri-County African American Alliance, Yesenia Kachu, student support specialist at Marysville Joint Unified School District, Nayati Melissa Cleveland, community activist, and Susan Allen, teacher and author. The group says race dialogues is paramount for individuals to heal and move forward. This is the time. This is the moment. We are here now, and we need to look this issue in the face, and we need to have those dialogues, and we need to grow from that experience because it, we all can agree that it is a really uncomfortable time. It is a real uncomfortable experience to reach out and have those kinds of communications, but we know as a group here that our community can do that. The emphasis that I want to bring out in this is building the bridges between communities, people, individuals. Um, we all have different backgrounds. We all work at different places and have lived in different areas. We have such an array of diverse backgrounds, even with me and Joyce, having the same racial background on the outside, you know, we still have different upbringings, different experiences. So I think the race dialogue is not just good for cross races, but it's good for us in, inside our race too, to understand different points of view. My goal is to propagate an understanding of 
What's happening with systemic racism in our country? Taking a proactive approach, the group has already held successful roundtable discussions between local law enforcement and the community, helping bridge the gap. Cleveland says it's led to more positive engagement from police at community events. So we've had Juneteenth, things like that have been more publicized since then. The backpack giveaways that they've done for back to school, the police have helped the community in those giveaways more. So I do believe that it started bridging a gap. However, I believe that it only it was only a drop in the ocean. I believe that it knocked on the door, but unless we continue to do more of those, then it would have been for nothing. Race Dialogue says their discussions with police took place well before the death of George Floyd, who died while in custody of Minneapolis police. Floyd's death sparked months of unrest across the country and put a renewed spotlight on law enforcement's use of excessive force, violence, and racism. Since the incident, Race Dialogue says they've been working to schedule another discussion with their local law enforcement agencies. The hope is to come to an understanding so that what happened in Minnesota doesn't happen in their community. I expect more growth in the future because they were receptive to us before, and I expect the police department to continue to be receptive to our, our ideas because these are ideas that are supporting the community at large, and I believe the community would appreciate that as well. Members of Race Dialogues have been hard at work these last few months. They successfully implemented a four-credit workshop on the film 13th at Yuba College. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. A galvanizing documentary which refers to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which permits slavery as a punishment for crime. We're going to discuss each part and how it pertains to today, how it pertains back then, and how it connects. They plan to offer additional panel discussions with Yuba Sutter community leaders and law enforcement. They're also holding book discussion groups to enlighten the public on systematic racism. The goal is to pass along valuable information that will be sustained in the community for years to come. Race Dialogues does realize not everyone is open, ready, and willing to learn. But for those who are, this is a new day. None of us have been here before. We've never had the courage to talk about race face-to-face -face with all the individuals that it affects. It is not the black person's responsibility to teach our white comrades in regard to race and the pain it has caused us as a group of people in this country. But in order to heal, in order to go forward, I think all the players in the community have a place. We all have a place today at the table. As for what a positive path forward looks like. Getting rid of implicit biases. Understanding that we are more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. It looks like having a community where the police aren't policing the community but one with the community, that they're helping the kids cross the street and not chasing the kids across the street. We all know that can happen, but at least try. And we want to see that effort. And I, I look forward to Start with them at eye level. And then on this quarter, they begin to rise.
And then you get to this corridor, and this is when you begin to confront the scale of all of these lynchings. Whoa. This is something. Yes. Yes. We wanted people to have a sense of just the scale of what this violence, what this terrorism was. So this is over 4,000 yeah. that have been documented, but of course there are more. Thousands more. Thousands more. Thousands more. And will we ever even know how many? We will never know. Every name has its own story. Yes, that's right. This was a minister, Reverend T.A. Allen, who began talking to sharecroppers about their rights. And because he was doing that, the plantation owners, the, the landowners got together and they, they lynched him. And the proof they used that he was somebody worthy of lynching is that when they found his body, uh, he had a piece of paper that talked about sharecropper rights. And the other piece of paper he had in his suit jacket was a note that said, every man a king. Mm -hmm. A lot of these folks were lynched because they showed too much dignity. They showed too much humanity. He just wanted to be respected as a human being. Mm -hmm. And it got him hanged.
is, wherever you are, God is still in control. God is um, taking care of business, as he always does. You know, um, the story of uh, the lynchings, part of the history of this country we call America, Ophir Runner gets the first look inside the memorial to the victims of lynchings. Stevenson's heading away again on jogging and checking the memories of America. The new memorial is dedicated to the thousands of victims of lynching that took place over a 70-year period following, following the Civil War. Ophir Winfrey brings 60-minute cameras into a new memorial dedicated to the thousands of victims of lynching that took place over a 70-year period following the Civil War. It will be the first time the public sees the inside of the structure and its 805 steel markers, each bearing the name of people murdered, often with thousands of onlookers in a mid-picnic-like atmosphere. A report will be tomorrow on 60 Minutes, April the 8th, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Pacific Time on CBS. You have an opportunity. You need to look at that. Each marker represents a state, county, and contains the names of victims on documented lynchings from that area. The memorial takes up six acres in the heart of Montgomery, Alabama, perhaps the best-known city in the struggle for civil rights. Alabama also the scene of 361 documented lynchings. Among the more than 4,300 cases of lynching documented by Stevenson and his team were the story of Jesse Washington, a black man accused of a crime in Waco, Texas. One team member, criminal defense attorney Cy Sanik, found a newspaper account of the Washington member murders she tells Winter it describes a crowd of 15,000 many dressed in their Sunday best. The power of the past of this place we call America. I think about my small town here in Beatrice and my life travels as a young man and my falls and mistakes and things like that and how God has brought us so far and how we even today, in the small town of Beatrice, we can't get along like we should. We clamor for each other's throats and things like that. We seem on the surface like we care for each other, but we kill each other with our deeds and our thoughts and our underhanded transactions and our underhanded backstabbing deals that we make. The awful power of God is in the affairs of man, and he's not blind. He's not blind to my mistakes and my faults. He's not blind to yours mistakes and your faults. But one thing is for sure. God really loves humanity. But humanity has shown the most evil sides of itself in many facets of humanity. You can think of thousands and thousands of injustices to each that we do to each other. With that in mind, we hope that you pay attention to what's taking place 
in and around America. And guess what? Our day is coming. And I dare say our day may be here already. God is not mocked. In spite of my own iniquity, I wrestle with my own shortcomings. And I hope you wrestle with yours. And you call out to Jesus Christ, God Almighty, your Creator. Because He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father. Where He's been for over 2,000 years. Waiting to hear you say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Jesus, God Almighty, our Creator, He truly loves you. Shot by cops. 
In truth, all of these factors and more contributed to the climate and ensured that a change was going to occur, that a change was going to occur. Blacks were no longer going to accept separate and unequal, and while many in the South were reluctant to see their way of life change, there were those who were ready to see a change. Whether they came in via bus or from other parts of the country or sat bravely with friends at the lunch counter or marched with others and faced the rest, there were people who stood up to authorities and defended what they knew was right. Lives were lost in the fight for civil rights. Emmett Till was lynched in 1955 while visiting Rogers in Mississippi because he reported preferred with a white woman. He was a 14-year-old. His killers walked away having been acquitted and then admitted in a magazine interview they had killed him. Mega Evers was shot in his own driveway. It took almost 30 years for a jury to convict his killer. Addie Mae Collins, age 14, Carol Denise Nell, age 11, Carol Robinson, age 14, and Cynthia Wesley, age 14, were killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama, in 1963. Four people died while involved in the civil march. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Nonviolent demonstrations don't always end in nonviolent results. And sometimes the victim protests have nothing to do with the protesters themselves. Change doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come without a cost. At this time went on, civil rights groups found themselves splintering into different factors over how to handle the issue they faced. Some wanted to take bolder stances and more protective approaches, and even when a bolder approach was taken, they were still Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, both stand out as significant issues to the cause. Others continued to follow King's method even after he was gone. And fighting, infighting within an ideology of political party isn't a new concept, but we can learn from the obstacles that civil rights groups faced in the 1960s. Notable Supreme Court cases during the Martin Luther King nonviolent uh, effort. United States. O'Brien, 391, U.S. 367, 1968. This decision ruled that a criminal, criminal prohibition against burning a draft card was not a violation of the First Amendment guaranteed of free speech. Clark versus Community for a Creative Nonviolence, 468, U.S. 288, 1984. This case held that the regulations <clears throat> of the National Park Service, which prohibit groups from overnight sleeping in conjunction with a demonstration on the National Mall and other federal grounds was not in violation of the Fifth Amendment. First Amendment, Texas versus Johnson, 491 U.S. 397-1989. This case invalidated prohibition on, this, this, on desecrating the American flag enforced in 48 of the 50 states. Burning the flag in this incident was considered protected speech under the First Amendment as the flag was burned as part of a political protest. Library resources. Clayton Carson detailed as the papers of Martin Luther King, Jr. E. 18597, King 582, 1992. Clayton Carson, The Struggle of SNCC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the Black Awakening of the 1960s, E-185-92, case 37-1995, also available online. Robert 
Johnson Goldstein, flag burning and free speech. The case of a Texas Johnson, case number 224, 6J64, G65, 2000. Donald P. Kramer, and he tells American constitutional law, essays, cases, and comparative notes. Case 4550, case 65, 2010. Rufus Burroughs, Jr., Martin Luther King, Jr., and the Theology of Resistance. Available online. Taylor Branch, The King Years, Historic Moments in the Civil Rights Movement, E 185-61, B 79-113-2013. There is some powerful information here. Freedom Riders, The March to Selma, The Martin Luther King. This is powerful, powerful information in regards to what's it. Now, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The 1965 Voting Rights Act. What is the 1965 Voting Rights Act? All right. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 offered African Americans a way to get around the barriers at the state and local level that had prevented them from exercising their 15th Amendment right to vote. After it was signed into law, LBJ Congress amended it five more times to expand its scope and offer more protection. This law has been called one of the most effective pieces of civil rights legislation ever enacted by the Department of Justice. By gutting, by <clears throat> it's gutting by the decision of Shelby County versus Holder in 2013 has led to more restrictive voting laws in the last seven states. Wasn't that a powerful thing, evil thing they did there? It's gutting of. It's gutting by the decision in Shelby County versus Holder in 2013 has led to more restrictive voting laws in at least seven states. People will not do right when it comes to voting rights. That's what is at the heart of what happened in this 20, uh, last election, 2020 election. There's some sick folks in this country. That's what the rioting was about in Washington, D.C., voting rights conning people votes, wanting to accept white folk vote but not accept black folk vote. Some said some of the votes were eager, some said they were not legal. Powerful stuff. The section of the Voting Rights Act affected by Shelby County were 4, 5, and 5, section B. Contain a coverage formula designed to encompass jurisdiction that were the most pervasive Discriminated hold the liable special provisions within the Voting Rights Act. The ensure previously bad minorities with these jurisdictions will be protected and able to practice the right to vote. This is something that you need to understand and think about what is taking place in this country today. The coverage formula was also considered controversial because it singled out specific jurisdictions, most of which were in the Deep South. Shelby County, the Supreme Court, declared the coverage formula unconstitutional because the criteria used were outdated and thus violated principles of equal state sovereignty and federalism. The other specific provisions that were dependent on the coverage formula, such as the Section 5 preclearance requirement, remained valid law, but without valid coverage formula, these provisions became unenforceable. The preclearance requirement meant that jurisdiction would fall under four, 
and had to get federal approval to any change that to make that election law. With this requirement gone, states with a history of discriminatory behavior could now make changes without federal approval. This is what's taking place right now. All these rash of things that are taking place so far as uh, suppressing the vote and different evidence that they say uh, that you see in these southern states, they haven't changed. They still got the MO of the reconstruction of the Jim Crow era. They haven't changed one bit. They haven't changed one bit. The minute the government stopped watching them, they go back to doing the dirty work of evil that they have done, depriving people of their right to vote. And that's the key. They don't want certain people to vote in this country. That is all to it. They do not want certain people to vote in this country. But I'm here to tell you, come hell or high water, we are going to continue to vote. And I mean vote, vote, vote. Get registered to vote. Get registered to vote. Shelby County versus Holder, notable Supreme Court cases. Now, this case right here gutted the Civil Rights Act. This cut out the heart of it. Let's look at it. Shelby County versus Holder, 570 U.S. 2013. In this case, the court held that Section 4B of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was unconstitutional because the formula used to determine coverage was based on data that was 40 years old, making it no longer representative to current needs. This caused a ripple effect among several states, such as Alabama, Arizona, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, and Wisconsin, all of whom had passed voting ID laws that removed online voter registration, early voting, same-day registration, and pre-registration for teens about to turn 18. In each case, the law had become more restricted. Library resources. Bruce J. Schumann, Lyndon Van Johnson, and American Liberalism, a brief biography and document at E847 S35 2007, Maine Lauren Collier Hillstrom, The Voting Rights Act of 1965, JK 1924, H552009. Charles S. Bullock, The Rise and Fall of the Voting Rights Act. KF 4891 B85 2016. There is some stuff going on in this country. All right. We want to go back and uh, look at uh, more in regards to uh, uh, what's the difference between human rights and civil rights. All right. What's the difference between human rights and civil rights? Human rights and civil rights. Civil political rights. Civil rights versus civil liberties. Powerful information here. We thank uh, Dr. McCauley for calling in when he did call in. But there is a great deal that we all can do in this battle for civil rights and human rights. Human rights versus civil rights. All right. Supreme Seven release. I'm on my way to heaven. We're going to go through some music for the last 38 minutes, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the broadcast.
Thank you. 
Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.